aren't you? Well, it's a choice you get to make, so. The Bible says that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. There's just a sense in the Holy Spirit that He's come to refresh some people today. Anybody and everybody that chooses to receive that refreshing from the Lord. Now, you don't have to. You can stay unrefreshed, if that's a word. But here we are in the presence of the Lord and drinking in that greatness of who God is and reminding ourselves of not only who He is, but who we are in Him. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to take us someplace in reminding us of who we are today and who we are not. There's a lot of things that we are not that Satan would like to plant back inside of you that this is who you are or who you still are. Okay, I'm about to start preaching. But there's a refreshing, and I just want that to soak through you right now. Lift your hands once again, would you please? We are in the presence of the Lord. We gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've received our worship and that you are in the earth to reveal yourself and to reveal who you are in us. And we choose to not only receive that, but to uh, demonstrate it in the name of Jesus. And we receive that demonstration first as a refreshing, that our soul is refreshed, healed, our body is refreshed and healed in the name of Jesus. Our relationships are refreshed and healed in the name of Jesus. And we are grateful for it all in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Say it out loud. I am refreshed in the presence of the Lord. And He is here. Glory to God. Amen. Come on, shout another praise to the Lord. Glory to Jesus. He is here. All right, now you may be seated. Glory to God. Well, it is great to be back, even though I was just here not too long ago. Um, this may become a habit. You don't know. It could happen, could happen again. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we like those habits. I do too. And we like it around here. Glory to God. You know, we're in amazing times. I say this all the time, and each time I say it, it seems a new level of amazement has, has already started. But uh, amazing times in that the onslaught of an enemy is crystal clear, more and more. The voices against the things of God are louder and louder, it seems like, and yet that's not our focus. I really didn't need to start with that idea. Because what's also real is who we are and who Christ is in us. And that has to get louder and louder and drown out the clamor of the spirit of the world from your soul. There's an onslaught really against you as a believer, every single one of you. An onslaught of an enemy that hates you that takes seriously your threat, who you can be and who you really are. And the more that Satan has awareness in us, 
or let me say it this way, the more that we are aware of our dominion over Him, the more liberty we walk in. We've been designed for liberty, and we have access to every aspect of what it means to be free. Free spirit, free soul, and free in our body. In the name of Jesus. And, uh, and we're not quitting. We're not backing off. We're not cowering to the spirit of the world. But we've come to know who we are. And today I just want to remind you of some things about who you are. I had the spirit of God just drop inside me. And I've talked about this here before. But I had him drop inside of me sometime back now. He said, I want you to declare that you are fearless, that you are faith-filled, and that you are surrounded by favor. I like those alliterations, but the reality of this is that those issues, you come to realize, are also pinpointing strategies that an enemy has to stand against you to strike fear in you in one manner or another, to attack your faith on all different levels, not only your faith in God, but your faith in who He is in you, and to attack what is surrounding you. Psalm 5.12 tells us, in fact, let's, let's look at Psalm 5.12. That would be a good sp- place to start out. I've got several starts to this message today, so we'll just start with this first start. Where did I tell you to go? 512. Let me remind myself of that. It says, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. Who's that? You are the righteous. And with favor... You will surround him as with a shield. Glory to God. He doesn't just surround you with favor. It is like a a guard, a, a hedge that God wants around our life, that the favor of God is hedging round about us, that from every angle, the goodness of God has us covered. Glory to God. Surrounded like a shield protection, glory to Jesus, against what has struck out against you. If the enemy can confuse us, he can control our destiny. If he can confuse your identity, he can control your destiny. God has given you an identity in Christ to guarantee that your destiny reflects Jesus. You realize you do have a destiny. We know that around here. And our destiny really is is a destination that God has in mind for us. Our destiny is not a single destination. It is the pathway into the various elements of who we are and how God is unwrapping our life in Him. And that's really what success is all about. Success is not a, an event or a destination in itself. The path to 
into success is, that pathway is the destination. Does that make sense to you? It's not like we arrive at a success point and then that's it. No, we, we get on the path that takes us from one degree of glory in God or manifestations of God to another degree of manifestations in God. That is the life of success in Christ. If Satan can find a way to confuse us from that, then he's found a way to hamper us and keep us from living in the power that we've been designed for. You've been designed to walk in real power. Glory to God. There's a statement Jesus makes. I use this all the time. I could have preached on it last time I was here for all I know. But I want to read it to you again from the Gospel of John chapter 16. Because in, in these final passages of Jesus' teaching ministry, and John chapter 14, 15, and 16 really are wrapping up things that Jesus has been building up to in the revelation of who God is and in revealing the Father. He was the express image, the perfect reflection of our Heavenly Father. That's what he said. He told Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, uh, and Jesus is wrapping up and telling them, and this, was, this is an amazing concept. Jesus told them in this, he said, it is to your advantage, to your advantage that I go away. These these disciples had to reel over that. The one that we have walked with now for over three years, that we could talk to at any point in time, that we could bring any question that we had, that we could receive amazing insights and revelation from, someone who demonstrated miracle power, but not only demonstrated it, empowered us to walk in that also. He said, it's going to be to your advantage that I leave. That's shocking. To your advantage that I leave. And he understood what they didn't yet understand. He understood what was about to happen. That the Holy Spirit, and he told them this, the Holy Spirit, the divine encourager, he calls him, he will come. And when he comes, he will reveal things to you and lead you and guide you and show you things. And that's going to be an advantage over what I've been doing. He didn't say it just that way, but that's the point. It's going to be an advantage to you because he's not only going to be around you, but he's actually going to be on the inside of you. So that what is in you is more powerful than what has surrounded you in the spirit of the world. Glory to God. Now, he didn't go into all of that just that way, but that's the point that he's making. And he, he even demonstrated it and really described it here in uh, this final statement. From John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Keep in mind that he said all of this that I've taught you and been talking about today is so that you would have peace. 
Peace is not only a calm, it is a force. And it dominates things that, that try to steal your joy and steal your awareness of who you are in Christ. There is a peace that is so full of power. Jesus said, I've taught you these things that in me you would have peace. It is a calm, don't take that wrong. It is that calm confidence, that knowing of the reality of who God is and who He is in us. But He said, I have spoken to you these things, that in me you may have peace. <clears throat> he said, in the world you will have tribulation or pressure. And man, we know that's true. In the world you'll have pressure. Anybody been under pressure? Of course you have. Anybody under pressure now? Highly likely. Well, I have, I have experienced it myself just lately. Again. Nothing new about this. You don't need details. I don't need your details. You don't need mine. We just know that there is strategies against us to squeeze us and in doing so to squeeze the joy out of living. To squeeze the confidence out of your faith. That's the spirit of the world. But he said, in the world you will have tribulation or pressure, but be of good cheer. That almost seems like a crazy contradiction if, if you just read it on the surface. But be of good cheer. Just be happy about it. No, not happy about the details of what Satan might be using to add the pressure to your life. No, we're not happy when the car breaks or when the roof leaks or when the kids go sideways or when the pressure comes on the marriage. We're not happy about that when the financial side of things is, is tight. We're not, he doesn't say be happy about that, but understand what's going on, that there is something bigger than the individual issue or the symptoms that you're experiencing. All of those things are important, but they are symptoms of a strategy. And it's the strategy to steal your peace and rob you of joy and to undermine your victory and to really annihilate your life if at all possible. You see, you and me, we are the voice of danger to the kingdom of darkness. Our capacity to pray, our capacity to speak the word of God, our capacity to do just what God has done, that's an amazing thing. He created with His words. And now we've been given the, the ability in Christ to create God's will with our words. That's a bigger point than you let on. We have the capacity in Christ to declare His Word and declare His peace and His power and His protection, His fearlessness on the inside of us and what faith can do and that favor surrounds us. We have the capacity to declare those things and that they will have an impact. Sometimes you can declare these things and you don't really feel it. You know, Dennis, I'm just not feeling it. You know, I have a hard time saying those things because I'm just not really feeling it. 
Oh, the big feeler is on the scene. Now, don't take this to be as harsh as it's going to sound, but we don't care how you feel. <laughs> Doesn't mean we don't love you. We love you. You know, you got to just cuddle people sometimes. Pat them on the back. You're okay. We love you, but we don't care how you feel. <laughs> Even if we do, you have to come to a point where you don't care so much about how you feel either. Your feelings don't tell the real story so many times in your life. You feel like somebody is angry at you until you find out, man, they love you and they just hadn't had a thought of anger about you at all. Oh, I thought you were angry. Oh, no, man, I just hadn't got a chance to call you lately. Oh, your feelings betray you, lie to you. You know, you don't have to feel victorious to know that you are victorious. You don't have to feel blessed in order to know that you are blessed. There's things we know, whether we feel it or not, we know that it's so. Glory to God. And Jesus demonstrates it clearly right here. He said, when he announces this, he said... Uh, let me read that last part again. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer or courageous. I have overcome the world. What a bold statement that we make our own. But when you, when you remind yourself what the, the climate was at this moment and what was actually taking place the moment those words came from Jesus, it takes on a whole new level of power. Because Judas, you remember, has already been dismissed and he's already now betrayed the Lord. And the mob is gathering and they're on their way, religious leaders as well as the Roman soldiers are on their way to arrest Jesus and ultimately have him murdered. Jesus knew he was going through this. The disciples didn't know this at all. They knew nothing about what was just a few hours from taking place. Jesus did know. And he said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the attacks that you can't even see yet. I've overcome what could be depressing. I've overcome what could fill someone with a lot of anxiety, trauma even, issues, compromises, the feeling that it's time to cut and run, the sense that things are over and there's nothing I can do about it. Nope. He said, I have overcome the world, the spirit of the world, and the attacks that are designed against me even before we've seen them. I've overcome all of that. I've overcome all of that. He knew the humiliation, the pain, the agony, the suffering. He knew the future enough to understand what was going to take place over the next few hours and few days. And that it would be horrific, like no human being has ever experienced and no one has ever known before or since. He said, I've already overcome it. You don't have to feel it to know it. Doesn't have to feel like you've overcome to 
have the reality that you have overcome. And we declare it in the name of Jesus. I think you should say it right out loud. I've overcome also. What have you overcome? Any strategy against you too? Anything Satan has designed or devised or created? The devices that he's used against you? You've already overcome. We have to remind ourselves of these things because we are told that we are more than conquerors in Christ and we are. But it is not automatic. Just because you're a church-going Christian, and God bless you for being here, we'll do this again tonight and tomorrow night, and even Tuesday night. So we'd love for you to be at all of it. But just being here doesn't guarantee that anything happens for you. Sure puts you in a good place where it can. But as I've said many times, my algebra class proved to me that attendance alone doesn't guarantee you get anything. Being in church alone doesn't guarantee you get it either. But you're in the right place for it. And with a choice, with paying attention, with reaching out and letting the Holy Spirit do what He does to bring refreshing in the presence of the Lord, man, this can be a shift in your soul in the next few minutes just by the presence of God being here. So the circumstances of your life may certainly have been difficult for you, but they are not powerful enough to define you unless you allow those things to define you. Your history may have marked you, but it is not authorized to label you. Too many people are defined by their history. They've allowed their experiences, their pain, or opinions to define them. But history alone will confine you. It will limit you unless you allow the Holy Spirit to breathe into not only the history, but into the destiny so that you are stepping up into things that are higher than what you've come through. Now look, you've lived long enough to come through a lot of things. So have I. I just celebrated my 70th birthday a few days ago. Somebody was excited about that. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. Yes, I had another birthday. That beats the alternative of having no more birthdays. But the reality is, the more you walk in this, the more you come through, the more of a testimony that you actually have of just what we're talking about, that we're not going to be defined by our history. You're not going to be defined by your failures. You're not going to be defined by a bankruptcy, by a divorce, by a death in the family. You're not going to be defined by a hospital stay or by a physical attack. You're not going to be defined by what has taken place in your history. At least I'm saying that. You have to decide that for yourself, though, actually, don't you? We've decided that we're not going to be def defined by the days that we live in. 
We're not going to be defined by the culture around us. We're not going to be re-identified by somebody's opinion of what it means to be a Christian. We have determined who we are and that we are in Christ and that we are Christians. I'm happy about it. Jesus went on to pray for us just after he, uh, he taught those last teachings to the disciples. And in John 17, he went on to pray for us, prayed for not only the disciples that were there, but all that would become disciples through their teaching and their words, which actually includes us. That what Jesus prayed then, he prayed not only for them, he prayed for you also personally. That's amazing. There's so many things that he prayed, and it would take a lot of time to really do justice to all of it, but I want to focus on this statement from the message translation when he prayed in John 17, 15, and 16. He said, I'm not asking you, Lord, or Father, to take them out of the world, but that you would guard them from the evil one. Say it out loud, I'm guarded. You know Jesus' prayer came to pass. You know that this went into action, man. He prayed that the Father would put a guard around us, and He has. Now, you can, you can get outside of that guarded position if you choose to. I choose to stay inside. But that's exactly what He's done. He has, he has given you an edge in life. You're not just like somebody outside of Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. And because you are, you are guarded by God. That means he's, He takes up your cause. He takes up your situation. He's, he's interested in your well-being. I know these are, these are terms you've heard before, but man, we've got to keep this alive on the inside of us and not let Satan squeeze that kind of reality out of us. But he said, I pray that you would guard them from the evil one. But now listen to this, verse 16, still in the message. He said, they are, speaking of us, they are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. What a statement. The world doesn't define us. Culture doesn't define us. Race doesn't define us. National origins don't define us. Oh, I know there's a side for that, and there's a place for those, some of those kinds of things, certainly. But that's not who we are now that we're in Christ. In Christ, there was an entirely new race of people created. That we are now the church of the firstborn. Doesn't matter what nationality we are, what race we are, doesn't matter how we've started. What matters is who we are now. And who we are now is that we are a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Say it out loud. All things have become new. I am who He says I am. In the name of Jesus. Let me read how the Apostle Paul addresses that same concept. In Colossians chapter 3, still in the message translation... Beginning in verse 9, he says, don't lie to one another. That's kind of interesting that he wanted to say that to people in the church. I mean, does that shock you? 
Only if you haven't been in church. Anyway, that wasn't the major point I wanted to make here. It was just where this starts. Don't lie to one another. He said, you're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. All you that love shopping and getting all those new clothes, man, here it is right here in the Bible. It's for you. It's not going to Macy's to get it. It's going to the kingdom of God where he says, you are dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator. Look at this, with his label on it. Some people are into high dollar labels, man, but it doesn't get any higher dollar than this label right here. He's got his label on your wardrobe. Glory to God. Man, I'm about to get excited. With his label on, he said, all of the old fashions are obsolete. You know, there's something really irritating about the fashion world just from a natural point of view. Really nice stuff suddenly looks really out of it. And for the guys... There's a different challenge, buying suits, and I don't buy as many suits as I used to, but they don't really have to change a whole lot. All they have to do is change the width of a lapel, and suddenly the old style, is, this is what we get. We get a narrower lapel, or we get a wider lapel. And uh, you're still wearing the narrow one when it went wide, or you're still wearing the wide one when it went narrow. Somebody's saying, oh, look at that, man, that's old. Well, maybe it's actually new and you just don't know it. I don't know why I got off onto that. He said, all the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like, and and he gives us some idea of what he's really thinking of. Words like Jewish or non-Jewish, religious or irreligious, Insider or outsider, civilized or uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free, look at this, mean nothing. We've got to remember that stuff means nothing in the kingdom. Spirit of the world is doing everything to keep all of those things propped up and alive so that you can be eaten up in bitternesses over differences. And yet he says this, he says it means nothing. We have to maintain that it does mean nothing. But then he tells us what really counts. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone, and he's talking about everyone in the church, not just everybody in humanity. Everyone is defined by Christ, and everyone is in Christ. You have to make a choice to be in Christ. Jesus has to be the Lord of your life to be in Christ. But when you've made that choice and you are in Christ, 
All of these factors come into play. Certain things mean nothing. Until you're in Christ, these are the kind of things that like mean everything. You're either culturally defined or you're defined racially or financially. You live on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. That's weird that the tracks have that much impact on us. You got to be in Christ for this to have shifted. It's no wonder that the rest of the world is so hostile right now and just getting worse, it seems, by the day. Because all those things matter. They shouldn't. They don't need to. They don't have to be the dividing points. But really, you have to be in Christ for those things to truly not matter. The sad fact, however, is that even for many that are in Christ, these kinds of things are mattering more and more and more and become divisive issues and points of separation rather than places of unity. We have to keep things alive on the inside of us that are real and that are true. And these issues, and he lists several here, and I'm sure he could have gone on a bit further, but these are the kind of issues that according to this mean nothing. And you've got to make certain that they mean nothing to you. When it starts to rise up and mean more to you, then just understand that the spirit of the world is talking to you. Because in Christ, those things mean nothing. Yeah, but look at the car they drive. Or look at the label of their clothes. Well, you can't really see the label. But now in Christ, they've got a new label on. It's His label. Glory to God. You get it. Your past may have hurt and scarred you. And it may take years to, of work to undo what has been done. But it does not have the power to shape the totality of who God has made you to become. You're not defined by your past. I'm going to say it again. You're not defined by your behavior. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your struggles. You're not defined by your feelings. You're not defined by your circumstances. You're not defined by cultural ideology. You are defined by who God says you are. And who has He said you are? He said you are right in His sight. He calls you a child of, of His. What can be said of a father can be said of a child. Can be. He has defined you with His own DNA. He's defined you with His own love. He hasn't given you a second kind of love. He's given you His love that it is not only liberating, but it is also empowering. We've not only been made free by His love, but we've been empowered to love with that very same kind of love. The threat and the challenge is this. 
that in these days of the squeeze being on, Jesus described these days and said, in these days, the love, the agape love, the God kind of love that many have, only, only believers have this kind of love. It's the God kind of love that He gave us when He redefined us as His very own child. But He said this, Jesus said that the love of many would grow cold. That's that spirit of the world squeezing the reality of who you are in Christ out to where it becomes less effective and the spirit of the world becomes more important to you. All those things that mean nothing start to have meaning once again. It's a strategy to shift you away from your destiny. We're not going to have it. Father has given you His name. Glory to God. He's given you His name and given you your name in Him. That you've been made right and righteous in His sight. That you've been filled, given all the capacity to love on a level that is just not even natural. It's not even just regular love. It's God love. It's love that is by choice. It's love that is not governed by feeling, but is love, it is governed by decision. It's governed by faith. By faith we have tied into that divine supernatural love and not only receive it, but now are defined by it. So it describes and defines who we are. The fruit of the Spirit is alive in us. That fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, it starts out with love, but it goes on to give more definition, love and joy and peace and long-suffering. Let's talk about long-suffering again. You understand what long-suffering means. It means to suffer for a, a long time. Like, how deep is that? No, it's not God's intention for you to suffer. There's a, but there's a reality here in understanding what that word, long-suffering, really is. It's a compound word in English. It's also a compound word in the original Greek text. And it means to be distant from wrath. It is to put anger and explosions at a distance. Oh, I'm glad you're excited to hear this again. It's to be long-fused. You know how it goes when somebody lights your fuse? There's a purpose in that fuse, and it is to buy time. That's the only reason that there's a fuse, is it is to buy time. When the fuse is lit, if it's a short fuse, you don't have much time. But long suffering is long fused. The longer you fuse, the more time people have around you. Because the fuse is long. They can light it and run like mad and get away. 
and they have time to get away because you are long fused. You know, there's little that can light your fuse any faster than the way other people drive. Because there's so many idiots on the road. They drive like maniacs. Now, every one of us, I'm sure in this house, are certain that we personally are above average drivers. You're not in the category of them. Now, I'm saying some of this by faith, of course. <laughs> but somebody drives past you on a two-lane road. They get first right up on your tail. They flash their lights. They want you off of their road. They need you to move out of the way. You're taking up space. You have no right to go the speed limit because to many people, those limit signs are not limits, but they are minimums, speed minimums. <laughs> I am looking in no direction in particular. And since you are barely going the speed minimum, there are people that will ride right up on you. I mean, they will roll up close. Want you off of their road. And then when they get their opportunity, regardless of those lines, you know, lines to some people are just suggestions anyway. They pull across the double yellow line and they whip around you and on the way by, some of them will wave at you. <laughs> wasn't all that friendly, actually. It wasn't intended to make you feel good, but they wanted you to understand exactly how they feel, as if we care. At any rate, you know how it goes. They light your fuse on the way by. You got your fuse hanging out, you know, and it's wandering in the breeze, and as they blow by, man, they light your fuse. And so while that fuse is sizzling, you know, there's no sin in sizzling. Sizzling is not a sin. You're not sizzling of your own accord. It's really out of the grace of God that you can sizzle. Because it has stopped at least temporarily, the actual explosion. At least that's the intention, that you sizzle so that you have time, not for them, but for yourself, time to stop the sizzle and put the fuse out. Some people have varying degrees of success with that concept of putting, putting the fuse sizzle out. But if that person that blew past you was doing so, so they could be the first one to the stop sign. And you're going to roll up now behind them. You have a choice to make and you need to make it right away. How are you going to handle these next few moments? You could reconfigure the back end of their automobile. Or you could lay on your horn long enough where it wasn't just a friendly tap that you need to get going. It was a verbal, nonverbal communication that is not biblical. <laughs> hey, come on, you guys look really holy. 
Am I giving away too much of my own self here? But you're sizzling, and that's fine. Because now you've had the time to stir up the love. Oh, Lord Jesus. I don't like this fool, I mean this person. But I'm going to love them in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to command blessing come on them. And you don't have to flatten all their tires, maybe just one. No, you're not going to say that. You're going to bless them. Well, you don't have to bless them heavy. You just have to bless them enough to not retaliate at the moment. You just need to gain victory over this instant where you're sizzling, but now you've had time to stir up these other facets of who you are in Christ, this fruit of the Spirit of God that is born on the inside of you, this love and joy and, hey, peace. That I'm at peace even with this person. The other challenge is when they are driving while they're on their phone. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You just give them a wide berth. Treat them like they're drunk. Anyway, that's enough of that. There's aspects of who you are that are revealed in that fruit of the Spirit because that's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 are not really describing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not specifically because it's actually referring to the fruit of your human spirit now that you're in Christ. So certainly the Holy Spirit's involved. He dwells on the inside of you. That's where this fruit generates from. But this is the fruit of a born-again believer that has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and this is evidence of who Jesus is. How, how well are you at revealing who Jesus is? Well, you can read down through this fruit of the Spirit, and you can get some real light and insight for yourself as to how it's going. And we may do that tonight. I shouldn't have announced that. Some people don't want to go through that on a personal level. So we may wait to next time I come. <laughs> anyway, there's some light and insight about who we are that Jesus pointed out to us in, in a couple of his parables, really many, but two that I want to focus on from Matthew chapter 13. Can you take a little bit more? Yes. Thank you. Not a lot of enthusiasm over that question, but I'm going to take what I get and plow on. Matthew chapter 13, this will be from the Passion Translation. Beginning in verse 44, Jesus gives us two parables back to back, saying essentially the same thing. He says here, heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was a hidden treasure in a field. And upon finding it, he hid it. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field so he could have the treasure. And then he followed that up with this in verse 45. He said, heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls 
When he discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all he had in exchange for it. I want to submit this idea to you. You are the treasure that he's talking about. You are the pearl that he's referring to. The merchant that is going to sell all that he has and walk away from everything he possesses is talking about what Jesus did on your behalf. He left heaven, took upon himself humanity, lived the life, relied on a relationship with his Father, even though he was God in the flesh. He didn't act as God himself but he called himself the Son of Man over and over. Just to demonstrate what a man born of the Spirit of God, full of the Holy Spirit, free from the dominion of sin, would actually have the capacity to live like. That's shocking information right there. But he was going to not only give up what he had possessed for eternity prior to this in heaven, But he was going to not only take on flesh, but actually subject himself to the hatred and the visceral of people in order to pay a price that would, in essence, buy the whole field. Paid the price that the entire world would have a capacity to experience something and reveal the treasure. And then he's clear about this, that he was buying the field in order to possess the treasure. And that treasure is you and me. Glory to God. Real revelation inside of that. To recognize how He views us. He sees us as a treasure. And we, we regularly, and, and I feel the same way as anybody else would, that we feel so unworthy for all of this. And yet, that unworthiness is a contradiction of God's point of view. God's point of view is that His created man was more than worthy. And so because of that, we've been made more than conquerors. He paid a price. Yes, we feel unworthy because we don't earn it. It's been given as a free gift to us. Are we worthy of such a great free gift? Not based on our history, we're not. But we're not defining ourselves by our history. We're not defining ourselves by our mistakes and by our bad attitudes and by all the things people have said about you to your face. We're defining ourselves by how He sees us. And this helps us see how He sees us. He sees each person individually as His treasure. Glory to God. That's nothing to get proud about, get prideful, big head about. It's not because of what you did. It's just because of who you are. And who He made you. Actually, the real revelation of this brings a lot of humility into our life. Because we know this is a free gift. We know we didn't do anything in order to really deserve this. We got what we did not deserve. And we receive it in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? The Apostle Peter uses that terminology in 1 Peter 2.9. And I want to try to wrap up with this. Let me just go down. I'd I'd use a few different translations, but let me just drop down to 
this First uh, Peter two nine in the Passion translation again, where Peter says this. He said, "But you are God's chosen treasure." There it is, crystal clear. Priests and kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He's called you out of darkness. Say it, I'm out of darkness. So you could experience His marvelous light. And now He claims you as His very own. Glory to God. You are... Some translations would have said, you are His possession. He has bought you. He owns you. But He doesn't own you so that He can dominate you out of fear. But He owns you so that He can reveal Himself through you out of love. Glory to God. God, that is so big. But He did all of this so that you would broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. Now this concept of being God's chosen treasure really is, is seen in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. I'm not going to go there, but I want to read a footnote from the Passion Translation based on the Hebrew word that is used in Exodus, where the uh, footnote for the Passion Translation says this, it says the Hebrew word, Sagala, which I'm sure I've mispronounced, which means a special treasure or possession. It is used to describe guarded wealth, indicating the placement of the king's jewels and treasures, etc., in a safe, protected place because of their extraordinary value. Remember, we already read early in the service that we are guarded. That's what Jesus prayed and that's who we are. And, and that's what he's referring to here, really. That we are guarded and in a protected place because of our extraordinary value. God says that each believer is a priest and king. This unique and special treasure of great importance is a treasure above all other treasures. That's the place that you and I hold in the eye of our Heavenly Father. You didn't earn it. You didn't have to work for it. But you do have to receive it. We receive it by faith. Because it goes against our worldly way of thinking. And all of the condemnation, the self-condemnation that people go through really is from the spirit of the world. In Christ, there is now no further condemnation. You're not condemned over the goofball stuff that you've done or thought. No matter how distant it is in your past or how recent it is in these days. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Now this, this just really, some people really get challenged with this idea, but you've been forgiven of past, present, and future violations of the kingdom of God. That does not give you freedom just to do anything you want and just, I know I'm forgiven already. That's not it, man. You missed the whole point. 
That's not what grace really is all about, to give you the liberty to be an idiot and not suffer consequences. No, you'll suffer consequences for being an idiot. Some of us have proved that on a regular basis. But you can know this, that you are forgiven. Surely you go to the Father. I know I do. When I have crossed the line, and you know when you've crossed the line. Nobody has to tell you that you've crossed over into a a forbidden zone. But when you cross over, you can go to the Father and know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Himself, who pleads your case before the Father on your behalf that the forgiveness that Jesus paid for is intact and it is applied to your current issue and situation. And here comes a flood of freedom from condemnation and a sense of joy again in spite of yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Now maybe people around you aren't so quick to warm up to the idea that you have been forgiven. Maybe they haven't got the revelation of forgiveness for you just yet. Well, give them some space. They're not God. And we know they're not. But what's important is to understand that we understand who we are. That we are free and empowered because of the love that God has for us. I want you to stand with me and I want to pray for you. That's what I have to minister to you today. And I want you to receive this. I want this anointing to wash through you right now. There is a cleansing taking place in our soul. We understand that we belong to God. We've been made clean. But what we also know is that clutter and trash can accumulate in our own thinking, in our own soul. About the days that we're in, about the trouble that we face, or about ourselves in general and we need that cleansing not of the sin we've been made clean from sin sin has been removed from our life in the name of Jesus but we do need a cleansing a washing a good thorough scrubbing maybe of the nonsense and the trash that has compromised your soul not your spirit you get the, you get the difference around here But there is a cleansing in your soul from the clutter and the kinds of issues that we've been talking about here today. The things that have no meaning. They mean nothing anymore. We're not going to let the spirit of the world bring back meaning to things that are meaningless. In the name of Jesus. Lift your hands before the Lord. Lord, we just receive today. Say it out loud. Lord, I receive today a cleansing in my mind. A cleansing of the seeds that Satan has sown of what culture has tried to redefine. And that in these days, I stand strong in who I am, who I've been made, how I've been defined, how I've been redefined by my relationship with God through you, Lord Jesus. I declare you, Jesus, as Lord of my life, spirit, soul, and body, that your anointing defines me as healed, righteous, 
right in the eyes of the Father. Powerhouse person. Born of the Spirit. Full of the fruit. And I receive it all in Jesus' name. I declare it all in Jesus' name. I announce it to be so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. That takes us places in Him, in the name of Jesus. How many of you received something just real for you right now? Man, we receive it. There's refreshing in the Word. There's refreshing in the presence of the Lord. There's a new sense of life on the inside of us. And if you don't feel it, let me just clarify it again. You don't have to feel it to know you have it. If Jesus is Lord, this is real for you. But that brings us to this point. You have to know that Jesus is Lord of your life. Anyone who knows that Jesus truly is the Lord of their life, they know that heaven is their home. That if they were to die today, that they have a clarity about where they would go. It's not a hope so. It's not I hope it turns out right. It is a reality. Heaven is my home. I'm already a citizen of heaven. Even now that I dwell right here. So if you're in this audience or if you're watching online, then that's the real decision that has to be made right now. That you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And with that in mind, I want us all to lift our hand one more time. And I want you to say this right out loud. And if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to declare this with clarity out of your own mind and your own heart. Say it right out to God. Oh God... I believe Jesus is Lord, that He's alive today, been raised from the dead. And I declare, Jesus, I give you my life, my past, my present, my future, who I am and who I've been. I give you my life and I give you everything and I receive you as Lord. I declare you, Jesus, that you have conquered my heart and conquered my life. I belong to you forever. And I receive it all because of you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Now, if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, made those declarations, I want you to get in touch with this church at the website that they've listed for you and uh, let them know exactly what's going on for you and that this is a shift for you. And they have some things to share with you and be able to help encourage you and point you in some things in God that is going to really make a difference in your life. So there's the website right before you. Just go there and click through and and, uh, make some contact and let them be a blessing in your life. This is a great ministry and uh, the presence of the Lord is all over you right now so do it now just go ahead and do it now in Jesus name are you glad you came today come on shout another praise to the Lord amen as always I bring uh, a variety of materials that are on the table in the lobby of the church and uh, this is a book that I've written it's entitled the satisfied life secrets to redefining your life And I go through a lot of things, not everything. I mean, this keeps progressing, but I go through so many things to help you 
redefine and follow up on the very things that we've been talking about here today. So uh, take advantage of it, or maybe you know somebody that needs this. You can give it to them, maybe incognito. Just uh, let them know that you were thinking of them or bless them in Jesus' name. But take advantage of that. Lots of other things available on the table. Let it all be a blessing to you. Amen. Amen. Come on, shout another praise to the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. Praise.